Will you turn with me this evening to words which you will find in the Gospel according to John? The Gospel according to John, the 14th chapter, and reading at verse 27, where our Lord is speaking to his disciples. I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. This gracious benediction was pronounced by the Lord on the eve of the crucifixion. And while it was destined to bring comfort and cheer to his disciples in all ages, yet he knew that before it could become a reality, he had to engage in the greatest conflict in which the world has ever known, the conflict between himself and the forces of evil, a conflict from which he was to emerge victorious, and as a result of which he was to bring peace to many through the blood of his cross. Now it is true to say that there is no blessing which is more eagerly sought after in the world today than the blessing of peace. In a world which is characterized by hatred and jealousy and suspicion, in a world where there is a restlessness and a longing and a yearning in the hearts of men for something they scarce know what, Surely what they need above all else is peace and serenity and calm. And our text reminds us that there are two parties, two contesting parties which are offering us peace. The world and Jesus Christ. The former offers us peace by gratifying desire. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Why should you worry about what is going on around you? And the peace which Christ offers is that of the healing of a disordered heart. Getting to the root of the trouble, so to speak. Dealing with the conflict which threatens our peace. And through that conflict, bringing us the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. And so for a short time this evening, let us consider these two offers of peace, in order that we may be able to examine them and to evaluate them and to ask ourselves which kind of peace, if any, we are enjoying, and to ask ourselves especially 
whether we know anything of that peace of God which passeth all understanding. First of all, then, there is the peace which the world offers. And Satan proves himself to be a good psychologist when he makes an offer of peace to men. He has made a special study of the temperaments of men. And it is with a view to lulling them into a sense of false security. And so to a certain class or to a certain type of men, he offers what we might describe as the peace of conquest. There is the great leader, for example, the one who is interested, intensely interested and ambitious, either nationally or internationally. The one who wants to be a great leader, the one who wants to be head and shoulders above his fellows, and who has a tremendous ambition along these lines. And to him, Satan says, yes, you're on the right lines. You achieve your desire, achieve your ambition, and all will be well. And how many there are who have achieved their ambition, only to find at the end of it that they were broken-hearted and dispirited men, and instead of peace they found despair. Is it not recorded, for example, of Alexander the Great, that when he reached the height of his ambition, when there were no more conquests to be made, he literally wept. That was the best which the world could do for him. Or again, on the same lines, this piece of conquest, there is the businessman. The man who wants to make a success of his business and who doesn't want to make a success of his business. But I am thinking of the man in particular who is so wrapped up, so concerned with the material things of life that the spiritual is obliterated. And to that type of person, Satan once more says, yes, you're on the right lines. Make a success of your business. Prove yourself to be the most successful businessman in the community or in the district. And when your dream is realized, you can lie back and you can enjoy peace. And how many people in seeking to achieve their goal have found at the end of the day that they are broken and dispirited men. The world offered so much and the world at the end of the day proved to be a disappointment and they know nothing not a thing about peace. Or there is the man whose chief concern is in becoming rich. And again, the archenemy of soul says, yes, you're on the right lines. You achieve riches. And when you have a certain amount in the bank, you can sit back and you can take things easy. 
and you'll enjoy a peace that you never dreamed of. You remember the man in the Gospels of whom it is recorded that he was becoming so wealthy that he he built extra barns in order to cope with the abundant harvest. And you remember the message that came to him and what a startling message it was. You foolish man, do you not realize that this very night your soul will be required of you? And what are all your riches, what is all your wealth, what are all your possessions to mean to you then? Nothing, no peace, but misery and unhappiness. When is a man satisfied, the question was once asked. And the answer given was this. A man is satisfied when he has a little more than he has now. And it doesn't require much logic to remind us that that is never. Riches can never satisfy. Satisfy. Or again, Satan comes to the man whose great love in life is excitement. He's not particularly ambitious along business lines or making a great deal of money, but he wants excitement and along with it he wants popularity. He wants to be the sinecure of all eyes, the person to whom the gaze of men will be directed because he's the most popular in the circle where he moves. And so he goes about it. And at the end of the day, he finds how futile has his search or his quest been because the popularity of the world is a fickle popularity. And like the prodigal of old when his money was done, people turn aside from him and he finds himself miserable and downcast. And there is one thing that is very often true and characterizes such a man. Because he has lived for a life of excitement, he can't bear to be alone. I remember meeting a young man once and he said to me, you know, I just can't bear to be alone. Because when I'm alone, I'm conscious of the fact that there is a voice speaking to me. He didn't say it was the voice of God, but undoubtedly it was. And he was trying to escape from that voice, to evade it. And he had to get into the company of his fellows so that the voice would be silenced. No peace. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. But the evil one becomes more subtle still. And he says to some, well, you will find peace if you have a church connection. If you take your place in the, in the church, if you try to achieve your best, if you seek church membership and find it, you will find peace in good deeds and so on. And many have been frustrated when they have sought peace in this way. For even good deeds cannot bring peace. Peace is something which is deeper by far 
than that which is to be found through the result of good deeds, no matter how honest we may be in our seeking to perform them. That peace is the offer which the world makes, and somehow or other we never seem to be able to lay hands on it. The peace of conquest. But then there is another type of peace which the world offers, and that is the peace of unconcern. And Satan now applies himself not to the type of person I have just described, not to the person who is ambitious or who is interested in wealth or excitement and so forth, but to the person who perhaps is a little bit indolent and a little bit lazy. And he says to him, he says, Why worry? Why worry? Don't take religion seriously. Just remain neutral. Just plod along the way you have been doing, and everything will be all right at the end of the day. Just remain placid. But the trouble is that at the end of the day, this peace, this peace of unconcern, very often becomes what we might call the peace of fatalism. A peace which makes a voice whisper in the hearts of men, particularly, and this is the danger of it, particularly in the hearts of those who have been brought up to come to church. Now your destiny, you have nothing to do with your destiny. Your destiny is sealed from the beginning. Either you're going to be numbered among the elect of God or you're not. And this piece of fatalism grips them. They feel that there's nothing that they can do and it becomes this piece of stagnation. And amidst all this stagnation, they find themselves drifting further and further away from the God whom they had been taught to worship in their youth. I remember in North Africa during the war, we were traveling from one place to another once, and we were looking for a spot to, 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 to set up our camp for the night. And there weren't very many inviting spots in that part of North Africa. And then we came to a place which just looked ideal. There was a little stream, it was, the land was so flat there that it was hardly moving. And there were a few trees, eucalyptus trees, and it looked just an ideal spot. But when we came to it, there was a military sign up, positively no camping here, malarious area. It looked so inviting. And yet that stagnant water it was the breeding ground was the breeding ground of the fly which carried the malarial germ and which wrought havoc among those who contracted it. And we had to push on. It was a peaceful scene. But it was the peace of stagnation. And you see that is exactly a picture 
of those who are not prepared to do anything. They say, well, why should I worry? Everything will go all, all right. Let me just take things at their face value. And before they know it, they're in the grip of this peace of stagnation. They think it's peace, but it's the very reverse. The peace which the world gives. But now let us turn to that other kind of peace. My peace, says Christ, I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. You see, it's a different quality of peace. It's a peace which comes through surrender. It's a peace which comes through the recognition of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And there are three things which are essential to the full enjoyment of that peace. And to begin with, there is reconciliation. Can two walk together unless they be agreed? Of course they can't. If you have had an estrangement with a friend, then you no longer enjoy fellowship along, as you walk along the road until that estrangement has been settled. And you see, that's exactly the position between God and men. There's been this estrangement. Man has fallen from the state in which he was created. As I was saying this morning, man has proved himself to be a rebel, shaking his puny fist in the face of God. And until they are brought together, until they are reconciled, there can be no peace but conflict. You remember when Jacob fled from the face of his brother Esau, he felt guilty because he had robbed his brother of his birthright. And then when years afterwards he heard about his brother coming to meet him, he wasn't at all happy, he was afraid because he felt that his brother was going to take revenge or vengeance on him because of what he had done. And there was no peace until they were reconciled. And so it is with men. There is an estrangement between the souls of men and God. And what those who proclaim the gospel have to say is this. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are his representatives. We have a message to bring you from Christ. And the portent of that message is, be ye reconciled to God. Because it is through reconciliation that we are going to enter into peace. But not only must there be reconciliation, there must also be separation. Come ye out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Now it is a hundred pities, one might say a thousand pities, that that text is sometimes quoted as a justification for separation between Christian brethren because of some little difference that they might have one from the other. 
What a pity it is to see the true children of God divided. And what a, a pity it is that they should listen to the voice of Satan and quote such words as the justification for the situation in which they find themselves. No, these words apply to a separation, to a division between the believers, between the people of God and the world around. There must be a line of demarcation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And there are many who are not enjoying peace for this reason. They're trying to sit on the fence. They're not recognizing to the full the Lordship of Jesus Christ in their lives. And then also there is consecration. And in consecration we have peace through service. A moment or two ago I was telling you about that malarial swamp which was a picture of the peace of stagnation and what a dangerous peace that is. But there is another picture comes to my mind, a picture of my boyhood days when there was the little stream coming trickling down the hillside and then it meandered across the meadow and it came to the old mill wheel and as it tumbled over the mill wheel it turned it round and the miller was busy grinding the corn and making food for man and for beast. It was a peaceful scene but it was the peace of activity and it reminded me of the words of the prophet then had thy peace been as a river a happy scene, a joyful scene, an active scene but what peace, what serenity, what calm and that is the peace which we enjoy when we lay ourselves unreservedly on the altar of goods of God's service and when you lay yourself there my friend it will do certain things for you first of all it will bring peace amidst personal anxieties you see we are all beset being human we are all beset with the cares and the worries of life it may be domestic cares about our households. It may be health cares concerning ourselves or our loved ones. It may be business anxieties. But how different in these situations is the attitude of the Christian to that of the worldling. The worldling is worried and the worldling becomes rebellious in his worry. But the Christian reminds himself that he who notes the sparrow's fall is much more interested in the welfare of his child. And doesn't that thought bring peace? You see, there's nothing too little.
to bring to our Lord in prayer. And then too, it will bring us peace amidst the unrest of this present world. And surely there is much that is fitting to cause anxiety in these days in which we live. The spirit of foreboding is abroad. There are wars and rumors of wars and there are weapons apparently which if unleashed could, could blot out mankind in a moment. But how comforting to remind ourselves in such a situation that our God knows the end from the beginning. That he keepeth the souls of his saints. That we know whom we have believed and that we, and that we are persuaded that he is able to keep that which we have committed unto him against that day. Doesn't that calm our troubled spirits? God is in control. He hasn't lost his grip of the situation. He knows the end from the beginning. And then too, there is peace amidst the strife of tongues. You see, the Christian is often misrepresented and misunderstood. And people are always ready to ridicule, particularly the young person who was, per who was prepared to take a stand for Jesus Christ. But does our Master not remind us that there is a blessing for those who are reviled and persecuted? He doesn't leave them to themselves. Men may ridicule you, but one thing they can't do is they can't rob you of your peace. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God, said the psalmist, than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Why? Because there he would enjoy peace of conscience. Because there he would know in the, he was in the place where God had promised to meet with his people. And then too, and surely this is most wonderful of all, there is peace through the knowledge of sins forgiven. You see, sin is a great disturber of the peace. Sin, as we already noticed, estranges men from God. But you remember the words which we read in the epistle to the Romans. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace, perfect peace, in this dark world of sin, the blood of Jesus whispers peace within. Yes, peace comes through the shedding of blood. Peace comes through conflict. I happened to be in the city of Jerusalem on the day when the Second World War finished. And it was an unforgettable experience. I think the city of Jerusalem for its size has probably more bells than any other city of a similar size. And on that day, not 
one single bell was silent. Each one seemed to be vying with his neighbor as to who was going to make the loudest noise in order to ring out the glad news of peace. In fact, I heard afterwards that the old beadle in the Scots Kirk there was so enthusiastic that he broke the bell rope. But then why shouldn't he be? It was a day of glad tidings, and there was a message of peace to be rung out to the world. And our thoughts, of course, and some of us had been many years from home, our thoughts went out to home and to loved ones. Now we could see the day when there would be, in the good providence of God, a glad reunion. And as we were thinking along those lines, we were standing on the parapet of St. Andrew's Church in Jerusalem, looking down into the valley. And I could see a lot of soldiers, men, yes, and women too, in khaki, making their way up the hill, and it was evident that they were coming to the church. They were there from all nationalities. Scotland was well represented. There were English and Irish there. There were South Africans, Australians, Canadians, the lot. And somehow or other, they seemed to have one thought in common. <clears throat> they were wending their way to that church in order to engage in an act of thanksgiving to a God who had brought peace. And I held a service for that group of servicemen who came along, and I think I can safely say that it was the most thrilling and the most inspiring service which I ever conducted. There was a silence, there was a hush. There were there in this true spirit of thanksgiving. God had been speaking to them, and they recognized that God was the author of peace. Some of them were wearing their battle scars, and together we prayed for the peace of Jerusalem in its widest sense. And from that day forward, our opening psalm, the 122nd psalm, took on a new meaning for me. For every time I sing it, I picture not the tribes, but those men. And do they not form the tribes coming up the hillside to the city of Jerusalem? to worship God. But that day, my friends, we remembered a greater conflict still. As we stood looking across at that hill outside the city wall, we remembered him who made peace through the blood of his cross, and we could hear his voice saying to us, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Can we express our confidence in him tonight, in those well-known words, 
two lines of which I have already quoted. Peace, perfect peace in this dark world of sin. The blood of Jesus whispers peace within. Peace, perfect peace, my thronging duties pressed to do the will of Jesus. This is rest. Peace, perfect peace, our future all unknown. Jesus we know, and he is on the throne. Peace, perfect peace, death shadowing us and ours. Jesus has vanquished death and all its powers. It is enough. Earth's struggles soon shall cease. And Jesus call to heaven's perfect peace. My friend, the author of peace is here tonight. He has signed the peace treaty with his own blood. And now he offers it to you. Are you going to, by his grace, enter into an experience of that peace of God which passeth all understanding? This is not a figment of the imagination. This, as many can testify, is a glorious reality, a glorious possibility by the grace of God. So may we hear his voice and may his benediction go with us through all our earthly life until by his grace at the end of the day we hear his voice saying to us Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Amen. Let's pray. O thou who art the author of peace, and who hast made peace through the blood of thy cross, who entered into that dreadful conflict and who bore upon thy body the sins of thy people. Help us to remember what this peace cost in order that it might be offered to us. Help us to remember that we are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish. And help us, dear Lord, by thy grace to lay ourselves unreservedly on the altar of thy service, to spend and to be spent in the service of the best of masters. If there be any here tonight, dear Lord, who know nothing of this peace which we have been considering, grant, O Lord, that they may turn away from the world and from the peace which the world offers and find that peace which thou alone canst give. Direct their eyes toward thyself 
And may they have no rest and no peace until they enter into an experience of that peace of God which passeth all understanding. We ask this with the pardon of our every sin. For Jesus' sake.